Hello and welcome to the Agros Church Podcast. I am your host for today, once again, uh, Lead Pastor Dane Johansson. Today I wanted to take a look at an article written by Dr. Mark Ward on his blog titled, By Faith We Understand. Um, the title of the article, which was released on March 22nd of this year, I haven't had a chance to see it, um, is titled, Can Matthew Henry Help You Understand KJV English? Yes and no. So that's the title of the article. If any of you are familiar with uh, Dr. Mark Ward, um, he's a Reformed Baptist author. I think he's a preacher, maybe a pastor. I'm not 100% positive. He's also a self-proclaimed scholar of the King James Bible and its use and misuse, as his uh, book title says, the authorized version, uh, or authorized the use and misuse of the King James Bible. For some reason, Dr. Ward has seen it as his, how do I put it, crusade to and, and mission to uh, explain to people how little they are able to understand the King James or the authorized version of the Bible. Most of his work online, his videos, his art, many of his articles, um, his book, his documentary um, are geared towards um, talking about the King James. And thus with it, he also turned his eye last year um, towards the TR position, TR onlyism, as it's wrongly called by some people, um, confessional text position, the canonical text position, ecclesiastical text position, um, all the different names that um, those in my camp go by. He... Um, gave a series of lectures, I think maybe it was just one lecture on the confessional text and the TR. And so in talking about the King James, he also talks a lot about the Texas Receptus and its use, and I assume misuse in his opinion as well. He argues for the use of modern versions, modern critical texts. Um, he comes off very um, humble and charitable, but through through that thinly veiled charity often is some sharp jabs, and he has not really been that charitable to people like uh, Dr. Jeff Riddle, um, Reverend Taylor DeSoto, um, and in in some of the discussions and things we've seen online, he has not been necessarily charitable. Not that everyone on our side, or even myself, has been necessarily charitable back to him, but um, it, it comes off very patronizing, condescending, the way he writes these articles, and um, one of my questions before we dive in, and the reason I chose this article, um, I haven't looked at his blog in a bit, but this caught my eye because Matthew Henry is someone I consult uh, constantly on a regular basis in sermon preparation. He's probably the first man, uh, dead or living, that I turn to to look at what he says about a text and draw many sermon applications, many sermon points from him on a regular basis. Um, he's a great um, aid in preaching, teaching, and understanding the Bible. Lay people love him. Pastors love him. Scholars love him. So when I saw this, um, I immediately was intrigued. So I went ahead and read it. <coughs> Excuse me. And I was, um, can't say that I was disappointed because I already knew what I was going to be getting into with Dr. Ward. But anyway, I'm going to try to be as charitable as I can, but I, I'm just confused 
I have been since much of his stuff has come out and how he's doubled down and dug in as to why uh, Dr. Ward has this crusade for the King James Bible and its use and misuse. And he's got a whole other website uh, dedicated to showing you um, how it's not comprehensible. He pulls up a bunch of false friends, really a lot of stuff that is taken out of context, a lot of stuff that is not, um, they're trick questions. And so you'll, you'll take the test and you'll end up with a 50%. You're like, Oh, I don't understand the King James Bible. It's not comprehensible because the options he give you gives you and his multiple choice, uh, answers are usually seem like trick questions to me. Anyway, I digress. Um, you know, something he often says is that he does all this because he wants God's people to understand his word. I mean, don't we all as pastors and ministers and theologians and um, academic Christian scholars, I mean, that should be the number one priority. The number one goal is that we would help God's people to understand God's word and to see Christ in it and to live for Jesus Christ, their Lord and their Savior, and honor God and, and evangelize and learn good doctrine. I mean, yeah, that, we can all amen to that. But I think it's strange to go the route he goes with it. And I feel like it's antithetical to his goal. If his goal is to get people to understand God's word, understand their Bible, um, you know, he ends up attacking, and, and don't be deceived, they are attacks, he ends up attacking the King James Bible, which is uh, the version that over half of English-speaking Christians read. Over half. The most recent polls in 2019 said that over half of those who read their Bible on a daily basis in English-speaking countries read the King James Version of the Bible. So if over half of the English-speaking church uses the authorized version, or the King James Version, um, and your goal is to help them understand God's word. Why are we undermining their the Bible that they have? Why are we undermining it? I mean, I guess if he really believes his premises that, you know, there's tons of false friends and bad theology can be deduced from the King James at no fault of itself. It was a good translation when it was made. Um, but now it's outdated and it's actually unhelpful if he actually does believe that. Um, I understand, I guess, where he's coming from, but it just seems like a weird hill to die on. And, um, you know, I have, I have concerns as to why, why are we doing this? Why are we just seemingly picking something out of a hat? Like, this is the thing that we're gonna, that we're gonna talk about. This is, is it really that big of an issue? How, I mean, how many Christians, I mean, even the most rabid, you know, maybe not the most rabid, but, you know, many King James onlyists that I know, you know, don't come to some unorthodox understanding overall, though I disagree with much of their doctrine, dispensationalism, uh, their forms of Arminianism, etc. Their, their use of the King James Bible does not in any way hinder or harm their faith. Even many saints of God that use the King James Bible that, you know, they're not King James only, it's just their preferred version, they grew up on it, they like it, maybe they like it for uh, textual reasons like us, they're not King James only, but they use the King James Bible. When, when is their faith harmed or hindered by their use of the King James Bible? If it really was, I'd jump on board with Dr. Ward and, and 
trying to point out the the problems of the King James Bible, but it seems to work against uh, his supposed goal, his professed goal, which is to help people understand God's word. Because then you take over half of English-speaking Christians' Bible and undermine it, show them how they can't understand it, make them second-guess it, when really they're doing just fine. They're understanding it, they're enjoying it, they're worshiping the Lord, they're serving God, they're lifting Christ on high and, and doing evangelism and attending church. And so... Why are we taking their Bible out of their hands and pointing out all of these problems, supposed problems within it? And um, as we've seen with Dr. Ward um, in his scholarship, you know, he does fudge the facts a lot. I don't know if he realizes he's doing it. I'll be charitable in that. But, you know, he has had it pointed out to him multiple times and he, and he digs in. He fudges the facts. He uh, kind of sets up trick questions and, and things like that, in my opinion. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. But it seems that he's, you know, kind of stretching the truth uh, oftentimes with how difficult the King James Bible is. And before I move on, I want to say this. The, the scriptures are a spiritual book. The Holy Bible is a spiritual book, contains spiritual truths that only the spiritual man can understand. The truths of the scriptures are spiritually discerned. To those who are unspiritual, those who are unsaved, it is foolishness. They cannot understand it. doesn't matter what translation you give them doesn't matter how um, updated the English or the French or whatever is how easy it is to understand um, they're not going to understand it because it's spiritually discerned and even you know new Christians and Christians you know that have been Christians for a long time maybe they're just getting into theology or whatever much of the scriptures regardless of what translation you're using it is not easily understood doesn't matter how simply or modernly you translate it for the average reader they're not going to understand what atonement means propitiation sacrifice worship divinity i mean i mean all that's not something just people understand so i mean at, at what at what point do you say okay this thing isn't understandable to a brand new christian you know every aspect of it and they need to be taught so my premise is, okay, we have a good translation in the, in the King James Bible. It's an ac accurate, <clears throat> as I talked about in my last video, I believe it's a perfectly accurate translation. It's a completely accurate translation. Um, so if that's what we have, we have at, at, at best an accurate translation, uh, or, you know, at worst, sorry, an accurate translation. I mean, even Dr. Ward would say it's an accurate translation. It's just outdated. If that's what we have, and people need to be taught the doctrines anyway, they're not going to understand it on their own. Why not just also teach them the vocabulary that goes with it? So why not help God's people understand their Bible? Why not, why not help the over 50% of Christians who read the Bible in English on a regular basis understand their Bible rather than undermine it? Let's teach them what it says, and part of that will be teaching them what words mean, whether they're outdated or, or modern. I mean, atonement is an outdated word, is it not? It's been used since the 1600s. We don't really, you know, the average person doesn't understand what atonement means in the Christian sense. They don't understand what propitiation or justified means in the Christian sense. They're going to bring wrong understandings into their reading of the word justified, 
you know, people think of justified as I'm justified in doing this thing. You know, the average non-Christian uh, means it's okay for me to do it. It's right. So when they see justified by faith, they're going to not understand fully what that means either. Need to be taught. It's the duty of the church of God, uh, pastors, theologians, and scholars, like Dr. Ward says he is and, and is. He's got a doctorate. He's a scholar. It's his job to teach people what God's word means. It's my job as a pastor to teach God's people what God's word means. So why are we undermining the Bible? Why are we undermining the Bible and the, their Bible that they use on a daily basis? Over 50%. It's very strange. Anyway, I digress and go into a rant um, a little bit there. Let's uh, read what... Dr. Ward has to say about can Matthew Henry help, and I'll make some off-the-cuff comments. I've got a couple notes and some books and stuff set aside, but we'll see what we can get done here. He writes, I recently read a promoter of exclusive use of the King James Version who argues that if anyone has trouble understanding KJV English, they can just go to Matthew Henry's commentary for all the explanations they need. Um, I don't know who he's referring to or if that's exactly how they said or that's uh, Ward's interpretation of what they said. Obviously, that is not true, regardless if that was what was actually said verbatim or not. That's not a true statement. You can't just go to uh, a commentator to understand every English word. That's not how um, language works or studying uh, definitions of words or learning new words works. You don't just go to a commentator. I mean, you oftentimes will be helpful, and I found... Um, you know, you'll find lots of definitions and the Puritans and everything of what they're talking about and commentators. However, that's it's not a dictionary. It's not going to have every single word. He says, I was skeptical. I still am. It's just not the job or the concern of a turn of the 18th century commentator to help turn of the 21st century readers understand turn of the 17th century English words that have either died or changed in the last 400 years which he, again, says there's so many, there's so many ones that have changed their meaning completely or have died that, you know, we need to love the King James Bible correctly by putting it behind glass safely in a museum where we can walk by it and say, oh, remember the good old days, and it's safe from us there, and we're safe from it there, and there it is. We can love it properly behind its glass shrine. <coughs> it's, it's no longer useful for today. So he's saying it's not the job or concern of an 18th century commentator, 1700s Matthew Henry, to tell us in the 21st century what 16th century or 17th century 1600s words in English mean. Um, correct. It's not. Um, that's kind of besides the point. I mean, I don't, his whole premise of this article, um, I don't know how many people would say that you just can turn to Matthew Henry for any kind of word that you have a problem with. I would go more towards the Westminster Reference Bible put out by Trinitarian Bible Society or, excuse me, I've got allergies, or um, Dr. Joel Beakey's uh, Reformation Heritage Study Bible, which will have tons of definitions for not only words but phrases that have changed meaning or are a little bit difficult for the modern reader uh, right there in the margins for you or right there in the footnotes. So I don't know who is saying or if anyone is actually saying, I've never heard it, 
If you have trouble with any single word in the King James Bible, just flip open Matthew Henry and you'll always have a definition. That's, I've never heard that. He goes, so I checked one of my false friends' passages, Romans 5.8. And here's an example of fudging the facts or stretching the truth. Um, Romans 5.8. We'll look at it. He says, sure enough, and sure enough, if you know what you're looking for, Henry nails it. Number one, if you realize you don't understand the word commend, and number two, if you realize that Henry's use of the word commend is put on dis- uh, is putting on display his knowledge of 17th century English. You'll hear Henry explain the word to you. Um, so if you know what you're looking for, you'll see those two things um, that you don't understand what commend means. And uh, Henry's putting on display his knowledge of 17th century English. Um that's just a strange sentence. You know, Henry died in the early 1700s or mid 1700s. The King James Bible was completed in 1611. I understand things from 115 years ago. I've got all of these Scottish Puritans and Presbyterians and um, Spurgeon. Things were less than 100 years ago, I, you know, and more than 100 years ago, 200, 300 years ago in English that I understand just fine. And it was some feat for... Uh, Matthew Henry the Puritan to understand the King James Bible written just shortly before his 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 life. Um, it's kind of weird. Um, well, let's let's read the verse in the King James Bible. Um, oh, he's got it right here for us. He says, uh, "So stop. What does commend mean in Romans five eight in the KJV?" KJV says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's beautiful. It's true. He said, ask ten redhead Christians what the word means in that context, and I think eight of them will tell you that it means demonstrates or shows. Right. Context. So false f- the false friend then goes away, doesn't it? Um, not for Dr. Ward. That's almost, w- that's almost what it means has to mean in a context like this, even though we never use the word to mean that today. And those are the words modern translations tend to choose. He says two of the redheads, however, will tell you that demonstrates is not what the uh, KJV translators meant when they chose that word. They They had the word demonstrateth and the word showeth, and they didn't choose them. I mean, they had those in their English language at that time, both demonstrate and show, and they didn't choose them. One of these two redheads is me, and the other is Matthew Henry. Har har. You know, maybe he was redhead. Makes a joke there, keeping it lighthearted. Here's what he said. Can you divine the meaning of commendeth? Uh, I think he, I hope he meant define, not divine, like in the King James Bible or in the Bible when people would divine they would consult gods and departed spirits to try to figure out a, a, a mystery. <laughs> I hope he doesn't mean that. So I, I'm, I'm going to assume, Dr. Word, that you meant uh, define. Can you define the meaning of commendeth in Romans 5.8 KJV just by reading this? So he's here's his, the premise was you can just look up Matthew Henry if you have a trouble with a word, and he'll tell you. So let's look. He says, now herein God commendeth, this is Matthew Henry, so uh, Mark Ward is going to try to put it to the test. Now herein God commended his love, not only proved or evidenced his love, he might have done that at a cheaper rate, but magnified it and made it illustrious. 
the circumstance did greatly magnify and advance his love, not only put it past dispute, but rendered it the object of the greatest wonder and admiration. Now my creatures shall see that I love them. I will give them such an instance of it as shall be without parallel, commendeth his love, as merchants commend their goods when they when they would put them off. Uh, pause right there. People still use commend this way. Just FYI, he's going to say people don't use commend this way. People still use commend this way right here. Um, I commend this book to you. What does that mean? I recommend it. Uh, I said it before you. Um, I think that you should get it. I'm putting it before you. So they commend their goods. Uh, this commending of his love was an order to the shedding abroad of his love in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. He invinces his love in the most winning, affecting, endearing way imaginable, while we were yet sinners, implying that we were not to be always sinners. Yet were we not to be always sinners, there should be a change wrought, for he died to save us, not in our sins, but from our sins. But we were yet sinners when he died for us. Nay, which is more, we were enemies, not only malefactors, but traitors and rebels in arms against the government, the worst kind of malefactors, of all malefactors, the most obnoxious. The carnal mind is not only an enemy to God, but enmity itself. This enmity is mutual enmity, God loathing the sinner, the sinner loathing God. And that for such as these Christ should die is such a mystery, such a paradox, such an unprecedented instance of love that it may well be our business to eternity to adore and wonder at it. This is a commendation of love indeed. Justly might he who had thus loved us make it one of the laws of his kingdom that we should love our enemies. Um, well, just first of all, if you haven't read Matthew Henry, there you go. There's a chunk of Matthew Henry. That's why we read Matthew Henry right there. I mean, it's just beautiful, uh, not even just in the style of writing, which it's true, it's beautiful in the style, but also in its setting forth of Christ in the most uh, illustrious, to use his word, ways. It, he commendeth Christ to us. There you go. Um, he says, this is warm and beautiful and piquant writing. He might have done it at a cheaper rate. That's wry and precious. I like Henry. Did he help you learn the meaning of the word commendeth? Word asks. Back in 1611, word continues, in a context like Romans 5.8, the word meant to set off to advantage with added grace or luster. It's what diamond merchants do when they put their gems on black velvet cushions. The Oxford English Dictionary says so. Commend is a great word to use here, though, as I say in authorized, in the closest I come to a negative word about the decisions of the KJV translators, a touch more eloquent than strictly necessary. The Greek word isn't that specific. It just means demonstrates or shows. So yes, Henry helped here, he says. But I think you'd have to be a pretty sophisticated reader to realize all that's going on. And I think you'd still need to check the Oxford English Dictionary to know it with certainty. I don't think checking Henry is a substitute for checking the Oxford English Dictionary, nor do I think checking Henry is a solution to the readability problems in the KJV caused by language change. Are you going to hand the plowboy a KJV and a six-volume set of Matthew Henry? If you do, I think you will have you will have just made the readability problem worse. No offense, fellow redhead. That's, uh, th there's a lot to say there. There's a lot to say there before we get to his next 
uh, section. I mean, I'll try to, I'll try to keep it short. I have, you know, a lot of notes here and, and books out. I, maybe I'll just make a couple comments. Um, so he, he, first of all, you know, says in 1611, the word meant to set off to advantage with added grace or luster, like a diamond merchant. When they put the diamonds on black velvets, you can see the, the glimmering, sparkling beauty of the diamond, how it shimmers and, and it's, it's, uh, it's fire as it comes out, the, the light beaming through the diamond and off of it. Um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to do it. Very effective. And the Oxford English Dictionary says that that's how it was used back then. Okay, great. Um, and he says, you know, this is the one of the only places I made a negative comment about one of their translation choices. Uh, it's too eloquent. It's more eloquent than strictly necessary is literally what he says. The Greek word isn't that specific. First, first thing I want to say is... Mm, if you now have seen, if you learn that word, which you don't need the Oxford English Dictionary to know it with certainty, you can have a very small dictionary. You can have, uh, again, the marginal notes in uh, so many Bibles that will explain what that means to you. Also, again, context, like he even admitted in context, everyone's going to know what that means. Um, the, oh, okay, it means he set before us. He, he demonstrated it. That's what commendeth means there. Um, you're not going to need all this other stuff. I mean, it's pretty easy to learn right off the bat. Now that you've learned it, um, especially if you go to the Oxford English Dictionary, whoa, that that puts so much emphasis on the beauty of the King James and their translation choices. I mean, that that's, that's way better and deeper than just demonstrated. I'm not saying that it's necessarily better to say demonstrated or uh, commendeth, but wow, now you really appreciate the King James more, I would think. Whoa, you know, they use this... Uh, as he said, touch more eloquent word than they needed to, but wow, it really captures the beauty of what Christ uh, did in dying for us while we were yet sinners. God commendeth his love to us. He puts it before us like a diamond merchant puts the diamond on a black piece of velvet. Um, that seems like you'd be more excited about the King James, not less. You'd, you'd, you'd reverence it even more. So let's let's do a couple of things here. Let's let's see. He says then the Greek is. So let's just look at the Greek. We'll nerd out. Go to the Greek. He's talking about nerding out. So we'll nerd out with him for a minute. <coughs> the Greek in the TR. Big surprise. Which is in the TR. Um, Romans five eight is this. Sinistici sinistici the tin eaftu agapin isimaso theos. Oti etia martolonondon imon Christos iperimon apethame. So, sinistici from sinistimi. We'll look at that word in a minute. His own love, tinaf tu agapin, isi maso theos, God commendeth, demonstrated his own love toward us, isi mas. So, with the accusative, is means toward. God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that, Oti, uh, Eti, still, Amartolon Ondon, being sinners, Imon, while we were yet sinners, while we were being sinners, we're existing as sinners, Christos Iperimon Apethane, Christ on our behalf died. Christ died for us. So what does Sinistimi mean? He's saying that the, you know, 
Greek. That Greek word does not allow for the translation uh, commendeth. It's not that specific is what he's saying. So let's look at it right here. I have, um, I mean, you can look it up in the bigger lexicons too. This is a pocket lexicon to the Greek New Testament by Souter, uh, published in the 1800s. Um, it says this, sinistimi uh, and sinistau. Uh, in a transitive sense, I recommend, I commend, I introduce. Talk about how you can see this in a number of passages. Uh, second definition is I show or I prove. Um, they use 5.8 right here. I show, I prove, I demonstrate. Uh, in an tr- uh, in intransitive sense, I stand with, I consist, I am held together. Um, so, I mean, even in, let me just make sure, when was this published? Oh, sorry, it was published in 1916. Uh, 1916. So about 100 years ago, uh, how they would define sinistimi right there and then was um, commendeth. That was one of the translations you could use right there is commendeth. So I guess not so outdated as they thought or not so um, too eloquent. It's not too eloquent, I guess, right? I mean, if this is one of the acceptable translations of it, I guess it's not too eloquent. If men just 100 years ago, who was he was a critical scholar, um, who I would disagree with on a bunch of stuff, who was a critical text guy, if he even said it means commendeth, then couldn't it mean commendeth? And again, if we saw, thanks to Ward's work here, what the Oxford Di- uh, English Dictionary translates it or uh, defines commend as, um, now we see the beauty of the King James. I think that's great. Second point. Yes, Henry helped here. And then he says, are you really going to hand the plowboy a KJV and a six-volume set of Matthew Henry? Uh, yeah. Are you, are, what, are you kidding me? Of course I am. I, I wish I could give that to literally every Christian I know. And every Christian in the U.S., I wish I had the money to give them a King James Bible and a six-volume set of Matthew Henry. Heck, I wish I could give that to every citizen of the United States of America. A six-volume set or the one-volume fully uh, unabridged volume, whatever. Um, I wish I could give them Matthew Henry's complete commentary and a King James Bible. What? 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 Is that bad? Is that not what we want to do? I wouldn't be giving him the six-volume set of Matthew Henry, or, or I wouldn't be giving him Matthew Henry's commentary so he could understand the definitions of the English words in the King James Bible, no. But I would be giving him the KJV. I'd be giving him the Word of God, because, I mean, even Word agrees it's the Bible. It's the Word of God. It's an accurate translation. And I'd be giving him Matthew Henry's commentary so he could understand what it means and glorify Christ. I mean, there's hardly a better commentary. I don't think there is a better commentary that you could hand somebody, especially a new believer. Um, are there some problems with the with the language? Is it a little bit more difficult to to read? Yes, of course it is. Most people are, you know, Twitter. Most people are on Instagram and Twitter and, and talk like dummies and, uh, you know, use emojis rather than words. I mean, our, our language is swiftly decaying. And I think the worst thing we can do is is capitulate to that and start making even more and more uh, capitulations in our translations to try to get people to understand uh, God's word by stooping lower and lower and lower to their level. Think of the NLT for crying out loud or the message. I mean, that that's the end result. You want to see what that kind of thinking goes? It goes to the message. Who Eugene Peterson wanted to translate uh, Makarios for blessed. Blessed is he in the Beatitudes as lucky because it makes more sense to his audience. 
He didn't end up translating that way, thank God. I think he said happy. But he wanted to translate as lucky. Lucky? Wow. Uh, God God sure is lucky. I guess he's a leprechaun or something. I, I, I mean, but I digress again. I mean, well, that is such a weird question, Dr. Ward. Are you going to hand the plowboy a KJV in Matthew and his commentary? I, I would that it were so. Good night. I wish. God, please, like, give us the King James Bible and Matthew Henry's commentary. That's, like, the best thing. Um, it, he says, if you do, I think you will just have made the readability problem worse. Another comment on that. He's... Sorry. Let me, I'm trying to be charitable here. It's hard to... to it's hard to be charitable and respectful here when he's so insulting. It's insulting how he speaks about Christians here. English-speaking Christians, they're too, they're too dumb to understand Matthew Henry's syntax and grammar and, and words. They're too dumb to understand the King James Bible. Listen, I, uh, I, let me give a testimony. I'm not a like highly intelligent person. I'm not like above in my IQ about it, above anyone else. I'm an average guy. In fact, I, I I got F's all throughout middle school. I got F's all throughout high school. In fact, I dropped out of high school my senior year because I didn't want to be there anymore. I flunked all of my junior year, literally straight F's constantly because I was out skateboarding and hanging out with my friends listening to rap music, and, and, and my vocabulary was not good. I hated reading. I didn't do good in reading. The one thing I enjoyed was history, and I still flunked all of that because I just listened to the lectures. I liked the lectures. I liked hearing about history, but I didn't care about the work. So I say all that to say when, when I started, when I got saved, when I was 18, when Christ brought me to faith by the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel, regenerated me, I could not read. I could barely write. I mean, anyone who knows me knows this. Uh, you know, they've seen my journals from that time when I first became a Christian, when God made me a Christian. I, I, you look at I could barely write. I, I couldn't spell. I still have a hard time spelling. I couldn't read uh, very well at all. I could sound stuff out. I, I mean, I could read, but, you know, I, not at a high level. Not at all. Probably had like a sixth grade reading level. And um, I wanted to make sure I didn't get a Bible with these and those, so I told my uh, friends who were going to buy me a Bible to buy me an NIV. Or I just had a modern version, you know, something that's easy to read. So they bought me an NIV, the 1984. And I read that, and I had a hard time reading the NIV. Really hard. But I learned how to read by reading the Bible. I learned how to write by journaling, thinking about the Bible. O over the years, I mean, I'd probably been a Christian. Okay, so I got... Christ saved me in 2008. By 2010 uh, or 11, I had Matthew Nick's commentary, the one abridged Peabody version he's talking about right there. Uh, one volume unabridged, sorry. Massive book with teeny, teeny print. The whole six volumes shoved into one gigantic uh, volume with teeny, teeny print. It's like shoving a, an elephant in a teapot. It was kind of crazy. But anyway, I had that and I began reading it. I got William Gurnall, Christian Complete Armor, uh, that year by Banner of Truth, the, the one-volume edition without any updates, and I learned how to read. I had a new King James at that point. Didn't have a King James. Used the ESV, NASB, new King James. Looked at NIV sometimes, though I'd come to understand how 
corrupt the NIV was even then. Um, been a Christian a couple years. Dropped out of high school. Learning how to read. Reading the Puritans. Reading the Puritans. I had to learn what sucker meant. That it came from a babe sucking at uh, her mother's... Uh, it's a babe sucking at the mother's breast. And how the, what that meant then, what they were trying to communicate, that Christ suckers us. Meaning he, he helps us in a kind and, and helpful way. He cares for us. He tends to us. He nurses us. Um, I, I had to learn what all of these words meant. I had to learn how to read that way. It's, uh, so my point is I'm not a highly intelligent man, nor am I a highly trained man. Originally, I've, I've given myself to, to learning and training and teaching myself Greek and Latin and uh, some Hebrew and, and theology and et cetera. I mean, look, I love to read now, um, but any, anyone can do it. If I could do it, anyone can do it. And it was worth it. It was worth every time having to look up words, all that kind of stuff, and then it's easy. You expand your vocabulary. Why is that so bad? But all that to say, Dr. Ward here then, it's just insulting. I'm sorry. It's just insulting that they're going to even have a hard time with Henry. He, he goes up. He says, I don't think checking Henry is a substitute for checking the Oxford English Dictionary, nor do I think checking Henry is a solution to the readability problems in the KJV caused by language change. Are you going to hand the plowboy a KJV and a six-volume set of Matthew Henry? If you do, I think you will have just made the readability problem worse. No offense. He's saying because Henry's even so hard to read. One of the main reasons I promote using the King James Bible, uh, I'm fine with people who are TR, you know, using the new King James or even the MAV. I don't know much about the MAV, but if they want to use the King James, whatever, there's people in my church, a few of them that use the new King James. That's, that's fine. I think that you have a somewhat deficient translation, but I think it's fine. Um, whatever. Not a big deal to me, but I still promote people using the King James for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think it's the most accurate. Number two, our, th- our English theological lexicon comes to us, or the terminology we use comes to us from the King James Bible. Uh, obviously, other translations before, but primarily through the King James Bible. Um, thirdly, then you can read the Puritans. If you can read the King James, I mean, Matthew Henry is much easier to read than the King James Bible in a lot of ways. The Puritans, uh, you know, most of them, maybe some guys accepted, like uh, John Owen, uh, Thomas Goodwin, there's some other, you know, somewhat difficult writers, but if you can read the King James Bible, you can read the Puritans. So that's why I'm like, people read the King James Bible. I, I mean, even before I was a TR advocate, before I used the King James as my primary Bible, I read the King James, uh, through a few times and, or at least once. And I always tell people, uh, even even when I was a strictly critical text guy and used the ESV and, and commended the ESV, um, I, I told people everyone should read at least the New Testament and Psalms in the King James Bible at least once in their life. If you're an English-speaking Christian, you should read the New Testament and the Psalms and the King James once in your life. You're doing yourself a disservice if you don't. That's what I would say when I was a critical text advocate. Why? Because our English vocabulary for theology or theological lexicon in English came to us from the King James Bible. Also, um, you would then be able, your world would be opened up to reading the Puritans and Spurgeon and all these other people so much easier. So much easier. Why not learn? What is wrong with learning? What's wrong with like putting in the effort? Why, why should theology and reading great literature 
on uh, about Jesus Christ that exalts our Lord Jesus Christ and reading the scriptures themselves, why is that supposed to be easy? Why is that supposed to be just pie and candy? Why? Uh, we, we should be putting in effort, and you're going to have to in any Bible you read. Let, let, me, just, let me just show you something um, here. ESV. Let's look at the ESV. Here's how they translate Romans 5, uh, 8. Uh, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So they're doing the same thing, I think. But but you compare, they're, they're translating accurately, just like commendeth. But you compare, now, especially now, thank you, Dr. Ward, once again, for your Oxford English Dictionary uh, definition. Now that you know what commendeth means, because if you're watching this video, you now know what it means. You'll never forget it. And you know what shows means, which one sounds greater? Which one really captures the essence and the beauty of what Christ did, of the King James does? The diamond sitting on the black velvet. I mean, come on, doesn't get any better than that. So it's just very strange. I mean, why why do we need to have everything just so easy? I mean, this is one of the problems with the church in general is uh, entertainment-driven, easy-peasy, sugar-coated, churches and preaching and everything like that we we all know that's a problem if you're reformed we 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 rage against that we hate that hate it because it pushes people away from christ it makes a fool and a mockery out of the gospel and god himself and as if christ was about entertainment our our, the christian faith the christian religion was about being entertained and having an easy peasy life or money and health and wealth and prosperity we hate that and rightfully so but then when we come to Bible translation, uh, you know, we're thinking about, oh, it should just be easy. The, the plowboy should just be able to pick it up and understand everything, which we've already talked about earlier in this podcast. He can't. No matter how, no matter how idiomatically modern the English is, he can't understand the majority of it because it's spiritually discerned. And even when he's regenerate, he's going to misunderstand a whole bunch. He's going to need to be taught. That's why the church and the means of grace exist. Preaching, teaching, evangelizing, studying. That's why all that, that's why all that exists. I could understand it. It's just, it's just this whole thing is so strange to me. But anyway, I mean, that's one of my main reasons for advocating for the King James, so you can read the Puritans and all this other literature easy. So it's just, I, I, I'm sorry, it just feels very insulting. Very insulting. Stop dumbing down our faith. Not everything needs to be updated. I mean, what are we going to update Henry? They've already done that. We're going to update all the Puritans. They're already doing that. Not all of them, but many Puritans are updated. I'm not against updating at all. I'm not against updating. I think there's a time and place for up, updated works, but it's never, you should always be wanting to go back to the uh, original, the original English works, and, and reading them because you lose accuracy, you lose beauty of what they're trying to say. Even the Confession of Faith, um, you know, I'm a, Reformed Baptist, I hold, I fully subscribe personally to the Westminster, or the, to the, oh yeah, I wish my Presbyterian friends were hoping that, uh, maybe it's a Freudian sleep, uh, Freudian sl- slip, guys, a Freudian slip, I actually do hold to the Westminster, but they were excited there for a second. No, I fully subscribe to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, and there's updated English versions of that, I, I don't know why, but I mean, if you compare the two, like I have, th- they lose accuracy. Sometimes it means something different in places because they've changed semicolons, they've updated words, changed word order. 
Does everything just need to be updated and easy peasy? No, it shouldn't be. We can update Amazing Grace. We can update There is a Fount or a Fountain Filled with Blood. We can update um, Rock of Ages. I mean, where does it stop? We, we, we lose the beauty and the consistency. And, uh, you know, we can look back at history and standing in unison with these people. I mean, if there's ever a day where we can't understand these things, like our language has changed so drastically, then yes, we'll need a new Bible translation. We'll need, you know, these things updated, basically translated into modern English when it's changed that much. But it hasn't. Not even close. Anyway, rambling. Let's see what he says here. Uh, more nerding. One last thing. Don't, don't, we shouldn't be handing everyone the King James Bible and Matthew Henry's commentary, but we should hand them the Oxford English Dictionary. Good night. Are you kidding me? It says, I can't stop nerding here. I can't go to sleep until my pastor's sermon video because of the coronavirus induced church cancellation uploads. So let's keep going. So he's writing this article because he's waiting. KJV English. Like contemporary English, uses commend in several different senses. Of course it does. It clearly doesn't always mean what it means in Romans 5 8. Why would it? In Luke 16, 8, for example, the KJV uses the word in a way that is just the same as the word, as the same as we would use the word today. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Uh, The Lord praised the steward uh, in a kind of formal way. We say the same thing. Uh, He's, he's quoting from what the Greek actually is, epaneo, epaneo. I praise, I give praise commend, give commendation. Uh, But I think, he continues, but I think I found one other place where the KJV translators used the word commend to mean set off with added grace or luster, and it's just two chapters before uh, before Romans 5.8. It's in Romans 3.5. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? So that's the King James. He's saying, look, I found another place where it means the same thing. He says that obsolete sense makes perfect sense here. If our unrighteousness puts the righteousness of God on display for all to see and appreciate, why does God take vengeance on us? So you see, if you were to be, let's just say your first time reading the King James Bible is in the book of Romans. You get to Romans 3, 5, you see, oh, it's kind of strange, command, uh, you know, I get I get it, but, you know, what, what does that really mean? Let's say you do then go to the Oxford English Dictionary, you do go to Matthew Henry, you learn what command means in this context at this time. Well, now you've learned it. By the time you get a couple chapters later in Romans 5, 8, whoa, now you already know it. Now you've seen it twice in one reading. You see how you see how that works? Wow, easy. And you learned a word, and you learned this amazing, rich, early modern English word. And now that translation sticks out to you even more, speaks to you even more. He says, that's the only other place I could find commend used by the KJV translators in the way they used it in Romans 5.8. Okay, he says, last nerding, last bit of nerding out, Luke 23.46, and the KJV uses commend also, and I've always found the use a bit puzzling, though as often the overall meaning is pretty clear from context, like all of his quote-unquote false friends uh, that he puts. I mean, learn it from context, it's worse that worse worst thing that happens is you have to look it up for a second and you know it, you know, forget it. Wow. Hard. When Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, father into thy hands, I commend my spirit. 
And having said this, having said thus, he gave up the ghost. What could this possibly mean? Well, even he says, from context, obviously it means he committed his spirit. The word choice has always seemed a bit odd to my English ears. Why? Without even looking at the Greek, I'd, ex- I'd expect commit my spirit. And that's just what most modern translations go with. A few others instead chose entrust my spirit. That's weird. So what did the KJV translators mean here? I think they meant sense one in the Oxford English Dictionary. To give, entrust, or charge. Deliver to one's care or keeping. To commit, to entrust. And I don't think we use the word this way anymore. Uh, Maybe. Some people do, I'm sure. I checked this amateur lexicographer. Wow lexicographer does his homework uh, and you put a picture there it says even and this is his closing paragraph even they gave hints that the sense was dying formerly in such expressions as uh, that's what they said in the photo he gave and now certainly i don't think we use the word commend to mean commit or entrust not without helping words that is you can say i commend my great aunt to your care um, yeah in a very formal letter to a nursing home. But you can't say to your babysitter, I commend my children to you. I mean, yeah, we probably wouldn't do that, but I mean, you could. That would call up a different sense of the word. It would mean you are presenting your children for approval or acceptance. I don't think anyone would think that. Merriam-Webster still lists this sense that I'm saying is dead as their first sense. The new Oxford American English, the new Oxford American Dictionary correctly, I think, makes the... this the third sense of the word and calls it archaic or formal hey anytime a person reads this whole nerdy post a redhead gets its wings har har um closing comments from me again i really just don't see the need for the crusade that dr ward is on He's written articles uh, offering his services. I'll update the King James, and all the people who use the King James says we don't want it. We don't want it updated. We don't need it updated. You have the new King James. You can have all these other things to update it. He's he's seemingly waged this uh, crusade, and really in a lot of ways a war on the Bible that over half of English-speaking Christians use, rather than just explaining it. There's probably tons of. There's probably tons of people who read the King James Bible daily that never think twice about what they're reading in the sense of like, oh, I don't know what this means, or doing just fine, that come across his posts or that he would talk to and go, oh, what about this false friend, this false friend? And though they can't give an immediate definition of what it is, they understand it when they read it. And because they can't give an immediate correct definition, all of a sudden they don't know what it means, uh, right? And, and so now, now their confidence in their Bible is undone. Well, I can't trust my King James Bible. So then they get on some other version, uh, some modern version that removes all the, all these verses about the deity of Christ. And, um, man, just a slippery slope. Really, really slippery slope. So I, I, I'm unsure what, what all this is about. I'm really unsure what all this is about from Dr. Ward and why we're, why we're doing this. Just learn words. Learn new words. They're not that many. They're not that many. And they add, as we saw from his article, depth and beauty and richness to, instead of just, he shows his love for us. He demonstrates his love for us. That's better. Demonstrate. 
and said he commendeth his love like a uh, jeweler puts a diamond, a beautiful diamond on a velvet, uh, black velvet um, counter. Puts black velvet on the counter and puts the diamond on there so it sparkles and shines and you can see just how crystal clear and uh, fiery that diamond is. And you can see its beauty and all of its facets. So too is God doing with his love when he gave his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. So according to that definition that he gives, wow, that's better. That's better. That's beautiful. That's amazing. You're not going to get that from shows or even demonstrates. Um, you could interpret it that way, and, and you should be interpreting that verse that way. But learning the word commendeth, learning that definition for it, um, you see. So to answer his question that he asked, the whole premise of the article, can Matthew Henry help you understand KJV English? Yes and no. I say yes, not no. Only yes. Not in the sense that he will just define everything for you, but it's not just about do you understand every single word right off the bat. That That's irrelevant. That's his mission. He thinks that's important. I don't think that's important. You should be learning words as you go, but just because you have to look up a word here and there, you have to do it in any Bible. Just because you have to look up a word here or there, that means it's, you know, it's not a good translation. It's a hindrance to you. No, but I think Matthew Henry helps you understand the King James Version English. Yes, 100%, because he explains its meaning and uplifts Christ to you. The few words you run across every few pages, it's not a big deal. You can learn those. I did. I did. And I didn't have to put in that much work, and I'm not that smart, and any Christian can. I'm not saying they have to. But why not? If you have a more accurate, more beautiful translation that stands in unity with those who came before us and also um, where all of our theological English lexicon comes from, why not? So anyway, guys, I hope that was helpful. This is Lead Pastor Dane Johansson signing off for today. Thank you.